There's an unhappy goalie out west. Will the Panthers make a move to bring him in? We also continue our player grade series, and we also talk more about the Stanley Cup final and a Panthers prospect advancing to the Memorial Cup, all on today's edition of the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast. Your Locked On Panthers, your daily podcast on the Florida Panthers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into this Tuesday, June 14th edition of the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're at your team every day. Thank you for making the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast your first listen of the day. I'm Armando Velez from PantherParkway.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Monoman12. Follow the show account on Twitter at LO underscore FLA Panthers. And thank you for making the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast your first listen of the day. Don't forget to also subscribe to Locked On NHL and the Crosscheck NHL show with Andrew Berkshire and Eric Clark to be covering all the postseason activities around the National Hockey League. So, Cats fans, we were discussing a little bit about Sergei Bobrovsky and uh, w- with David Dork about the possibility of Pan- the Florida Panthers working a trade to get the cap hit off of their of their books as good as Sergei Bobrovsky was of course with the situation that Florida is as far as the cap it's going to be always going to be a little hard to build a team around when the goalie department is taking up that much of the team's cap for next year once again like we spoke about with David Dwork for next year when you combine the two goalies, it's just under $11 million. Not so bad when looking at that department. It's just those years after when it's time to pay Spencer Knight is when it's going to be a little hard or really hard. But so there was a disgruntled goaltender out west for the Anaheim Ducks, the name of John Gibson. You probably heard of that name, a very... Uh, it, it, at least in the upper echelon of goalies in, in the NHL, uh, former second round pick uh, played for the Kittinger Rangers uh, out in the OHL and has really shined ever since he became, he came into the NHL really was really thrown in the wolves uh, in 2014 after only starting three regular season games and started the, the, the latter part of the playoffs for the ducks before eventually being eliminated by the Los Angeles Kings in round two. And that's really when it all started for John Gibson has been relative in the twos as far as his, as far as his goals against average. So he's been, he's been consistent as even though he hasn't been to the playoffs every single year. And there's been no, there's been, talk about frustration and body language when it comes to John Gibson about his attitude towards the team. And I mean, <clears throat> he's the veteran goaltender there, a veteran leader on that team with a young team still kind of rebuilding. I mean, they just brought in a new GM just this past season in the middle of the season, actually, when Bob Murray resigned due to issues with alcohol and, and anger issues as well. And Pat Verbeek coming in 
uh, from the Detroit Red Wings organization worked under Steve Eiserman. I mean, we've mentioned Steve Eiserman quite a bit in the last uh, few episodes. So just goes to show how impactful of a GM Steve Eiserman is. So Pat Verbeek doesn't really have any attachment to any of the players on the Ducks because he didn't draft any of these guys. Of course, there's still a pretty young core in Mason Tavish, Trevor Zegras as, as well, Jamie Drysdale. That, that's another one. And the cap situation for the Anaheim Ducks, they still have a few RFAs that they have to qualify offers as far as first round picks to see whether they want to make a decision or not. But they do have the cap room in order to make those happens to resign some of their younger players that they want to. So where the Anaheim Ducks kind of stand now, as far as their cap situation, they have around 30 million in, in in cap space, 39 million to be exact. So that is lots of ammunition for them to sign a big name if they want to. They were rumored to go after someone like Jack Eichel last offseason. I mean, two first round picks uh, in in next year's draft. That was part of the Hampus Lindholm trade. Uh, four in the next three years and around seven second round picks in the next three years as well. So they got a lot of draft capital at their disposal and they were and they were a team who was to, to um who was in the playoff race towards the beginning half to two-thirds of the season before falling off and gibson with his cap hit 6.4 million dollars for the next five years sergey Bobrovsky is seven excuse me 10 million dollars for the next four John Gibson is five years younger than Sergei Bobrovsky. And you could see with, with age when it comes to aging, by the time Gibson's contract is over, it'll, he'll be at the age that Sergei Bobrovsky is now. If a trade were, if the Florida Panthers were to pull off a trade, they would have to give up more than what they what they would originally want to because the Anaheim Ducks would be the ones doing the Florida Panthers a favor by getting that cap hit off their books. Kind of like reminds me of the Anton Stroman trade last year when they gave up a second round pick defenseman Vladislav Kolyachanich and Anton Stroman in exchange for a seventh round pick. Chances are the Florida Panthers would have to ask for an exchange of a late round pick as well, like a pick swap, because you got to get something for that too. If you're going to bring in, if you're going to pull off that trade. Problem is the no move clause that Sergey Borowski does have. And Gibson himself does have a 10 team, no trade list as well. So we don't know if Florida is necessarily on there. Cat friendly does not provide the specific teams and nor should they, because uh, that that's for uh, GMs and, of the teams and their agents to keep in house. So I'm not, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that not being public, but the no move clause on the Florida Panther side of things. When Bobrovsky originally signed the contract with the Panthers, he wanted to win. And if the Panthers were to try to facilitate a trade to send him out West, to the team that's still kind of rebuilding. I don't know if Sergey Bobrovsky would go ahead and waive that no move clause, but let's say the, he does John Gibson comes here and you have 
$3.6 million of cap relief. That's assuming that the Florida Panthers don't keep any of his salary. What can you do with an extra $3.6 million on your cap? So you could think about it multiple ways. You could pay Spencer Knight, right? Anywhere between two to four million on his next deal. You could that is at least three to four players on their ELCs, assuming that it's the maximum amount of dollars, which is just under one million. So you you multiply nine hundred thousand times four, that's around thirty six. 3.6, 3.7 around there. So that's three or four players under ELCs as well in order to fit under. So that's the kind of cap relief that the Florida Panthers would be having with $3.6 million if you were to exchange John Gibson and Sergey Bobrovsky. Once again, the Florida Panthers would have to pay with the draft pick as well. And not really something that the Florida Panthers have as far as the high draft picks in order to to make something happen. But I also think about it like this. Bill Zito, even though he's been here for two years and has really turned this team around, he is still paying assets for some of the, the, the price for assets for some of the mistakes and contract structures that Dale Talon made. We mentioned Anton Stroman earlier in this segment. We spoke about Brett, uh, Brett Connolly a little bit a few weeks ago in that trade with Chicago, bringing in Lucas Carlson and and trading Henrik Borkstrom a, as well, not getting the value that you wanted for Henrik Borkstrom when you first drafted him too. So still paying the price a little for the mistakes of Dale Talent. And Sergei Bobrovsky is a Dale Talent signing too. So what would Bill Zito have to give up more after what he's already done getting rid of Connolly and Anton Stroman? So that's the, that's the tough part when you want to have some kind of relief. And of course, nobody anticipated a global pandemic when the signings did happen, but it's, it's a reality that it slowed out, slowed things down in relation to the cap too so the the panthers they they if they're able to pull it off they can not only get a goalie that's still in his prime years but they could get some of that relief for the next four and then have one remaining one extra year of that because once again five years five years left on his contract versus what Sergey Bobrovsky has in four. So what are the chances that this trade actually happens for the Panthers and the Anaheim Ducks making a trade with that? Very little. I think it's about less than a percent to happen. I don't think that the Anaheim Ducks need to necessarily trade John Gibson right now. I know he's disgruntled, but the the fact that he's under contract and that he could they could very fine well find something towards the trade deadline next year that that is something that Pat Verbeek might want to explore when when it when it when it comes to getting John Gibson out and getting a good ask asking price because John Gibson 
And my, of course, wants to go to a contender. Florida, Florida is one, but as far as making a trade happen in exchange for that, with along with no move, uh, no move clause as well, it, it's going to be it's gonna, it's easy for me to say and pull and look and write out a trade on how that would benefit the Panthers as far as their three point six million dollars of cap relief to use elsewhere. It sounds good, but to to actually pull that off, it, it's very very unlikely for for the Panthers to do so. But hey, um, this is why we write um, talk about these scenarios and we say out loud of what are the possibilities of bringing this in and if it were to happen, what kind of situation the Panthers could be in. But again, Bill Zito's still cleaning up some of the mess that Dale Talon made. It includes the goaltending and Sergey Bobrovsky. So it's funny that that can't, that news came out after the day after that David Dwork and I spoke about, about the, the, tr- the supposed trade that Bill Zito and company were trying to work last year on Bob. In the next segment, we're going to continue our player grade series here on the locked on Florida Panthers podcast. But first we're going to tell you all about built bar. And you know how our friends at Built are always coming out with amazing new flavors? Well, this time Built has truly outdone themselves with their new mud pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is introducing the new the new mud pie flavor in both mud pie bar and mud pie puff. Not sure what mud pie tastes like? Well, if you're a chocolate fan, you better sit down for this. The new mud pie bar is rich whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate and topped with cookies and cream crumble. You've got to try Mud Pie as soon as possible. And you need to hurry because the Mud Pie Bar and Mud Pie Puff are only available for a limited time. Visit Built.com to taste the deliciousness for yourself. Not convinced? Luckily, we saved the best for last. It's actually good for you. Not really. No, no, really. All Built products are low calorie, high protein, and low sugar. Mud Pie is packed with 16 grams protein and only 150 calories and eight grams of sugar it's like your mom baked the most deliciously creamy chocolate mud pie and wrapped it up just for you mud pie bars and puffs are available at built.com right now and they're going fast because they are delicious go to built.com and use promo code lock 15 to get 15 percent off your order use promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off at built.com Segment number two here on the Lockdown Florida Panthers podcast, and we have an important favor to ask you. We put together a survey so we can learn more about the listeners like you and make your favorite Lockdown podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Lockdown podcast. Go to LockdownPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take, your, to take our audience survey. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. Continuing this player grade series here. Today, we we, we covered Jonathan Huberto. We've covered Alexander Barkov. So it's fitting that we start off with the third member of the core three of the Florida Panthers, and that is Aaron Ekblad. And for the second year in a row, Ekblad went out with a leg injury that finished off his regular season last year against the Tampa Bay lightning. 
that he wasn't able to play if they were to advance at least to the Eastern Conference final last year the there was a slight chance that the the that the all-star defenseman was going to play in that that at least that's what was said when he first fractured his leg against the Dallas Stars in 2021 and at that time a lot of us were raving for Aaron Eckblad to be in the Norris conversation with 22 points in 35 games a lot of his goals coming from the power play and to think that after being off for so many months that how could this guy be even better? And he had even an even better season this season. I mean, 15 goals and 42 assists. So that's that accounts for 57 points in 61 games. At one point he was averaging a point per game and 82 game pace for Aaron Ekblad would be 76 points. Pretty good company and pretty good place for Aaron Eckblad to be in. And it doesn't, as far as the Norris race, as far as point production, because at at this point, the Norris trophy is more for like an offensive defenseman type of award. He still would have been um, behind the likes of a Kale McCarr and a Roman Yossi had he played all 82 and had that pace that he continued, that he would have been on before he injured himself. His, his other leg against the Anaheim Ducks, funny enough, where that, that was against the Ducks as well. So the and 20 points on the power play, three, three goals and 17 assists. So Ekblad, very valuable on the power play and someone that it gave Andrew Burnett an opportunity to mix and match the power play units with the five forwards once Aaron Ekblad went down. And the power play got, as far as the production, got even better. After that, when Aaron Ekblad uh, went down and it was better towards the end of the season. But of course, with the postseason and with the power play, we we were raving, especially Jacob and I, we were just raving about getting the puck to Aaron Ekblad for him to shoot some one-timers from the right circle, especially blocker side against Andre Vasileski. And that just wasn't going uh, and just wasn't happening for for the the Panthers. I mean, Aaron Eckblad's still on fourth on the team in blocks for the regular season with 69. The led the time on ice for the Panthers in the regular season and the postseason. And impressive for Aaron Eckblad to still leading time on ice in the postseason after being off for so many months. And second defenseman in, in, on the team in goals against per 60, shorthanded, always mostly on the ice for the first penalty kill unit, along with Mackenzie Weger and second on, on the team in, in that category. And most he's mostly the only defenseman, at least on the first power play unit. There's a, there's a, and for goals four per 60, he's the leaders as far as defensemen, on the power play so and of course those 20 points uh in the in the 61 games on the power play are very telling on that and at this point with Aaron Eckblad I think that he'll continue to be in the Norris conversation but it but like we said the if we see performances of Kel McCarr and Roman Yossi at the production that they make it 
I think that Aaron Eckblad will continue to be a candidate and even a finalist. But as far as winning it, I think that he'll be one of those players who will consistently fall short of it. But it doesn't necessarily say anything bad about Aaron Eckblad and his value to what he brings to the Florida Panthers as well. And again, uh, one of the few good moves that Dale Talon made was when he signed Eckblad originally to an, an extension, him and him and Tom Rowe um, to a $7.5 million contract AAV. And the, and the defenseman is, is performing to that value of that contract. So one of the few moves that Dale Talon, Tom Rowe and company at the time made back in July of 2016. So they, they got him locked up for a little while more. He had one of his best his his best season this year, especially offensively. So for Aaron Eckblad, as far as his player grade for this season, I'm gonna have to give him an A. It's unfortunate that his regular season fell short by 21 games. Um, he missed the last 21 of the regular season. If Aaron Eckblad continues to be healthy throughout the next few years of his career you're definitely gonna continue to see a player who is going to be that anchor on your defensive pairs for the next few few seasons and one that and of course he's still in his prime he's still in his uh mid-20s and continue to show and he's gonna at least earn one more big contract uh, whether it's with the Florida Panthers or not. We're hoping that it is with the Panthers. Of course, he's the number one overall pick, and he's been here uh, since uh, 2014. So that's what the Florida Panthers are hoping, that he's one that is going to – you never have to worry about Aaron Eckblad when he dresses for the Panthers night in and night out. In the next segment, we're going to continue talking about the upcoming Stanley Cup final and a Florida Panthers prospect who's advanced to – the Memorial Cup, all on today's episode of the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast. Continuing this conversation on the Locked On Florida Panthers podcast on this Tuesday, June 14th. So the Stanley Cup final, we're still one day away from the Stanley Cup final. And there's a lot of discussion about the biggest challenge yet for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And are, are they... Are they going to be gassed? Are they going to are they going to run out of steam when coming again up against this Colorado Avalanche team? And we think about the two teams that the Tampa Bay Lightning faced the last two seasons in the Dallas Stars, Montreal Canadiens. Montreal was the if you really looked at them in the grand scheme of things when it comes to points percentage towards the NHL. They were the last team in, but points percentage wise, they were 18th in the NHL. And of course, it's a little different when you're not facing every single team uh, in the in the NHL because of what the COVID bubbles were, the two four different divisions and everyone just facing against each other. So a little bit of context there when it comes to points percentage. But still, the fact that Montreal was to that middle of the pack, maybe even below average, and then making that run. Of course, they, they rode on the heels of Carey Price uh, towards the Stanley Cup final. And with the Dallas Stars, 
getting through Vegas to get to the Stanley Cup final. And Miro Haskinen, man, a, a top pick for the Dallas Stars really made his money in that in that playoff run. Anton Hudobin was great. Him, him and Ben Bishop were really splitting starts all throughout that season. And Joe Pavelski, of course, during his years with the San Jose Sharks, uh, also helping out with uh, with scoring with for the Dallas Stars. And Miro, Miro Haskinen, I was t- I was just thinking about all that like that really earned him that big payday for as being a top defenseman for the Dallas stars. And of course, John Klimberg uh, is likely going to be the odd man out for Dallas getting, not being able to stay and likely to get something in the open market. Um, so that for, for Miro Haskin, he definitely made his money in, in that playoff run for Dallas. But this Colorado Avalanche team is just a different beast and just offensively what they're able to do. Of the three teams that the Tampa Bay Lightning have faced in these last three as far as goaltending, they're not facing the best goaltender in their their three this time around. We can say that the best one that they faced of the three was Carey Price, and they were still able to beat them in five games. But, of course, the offense for the Montreal Canadiens wasn't, wasn't to to par to keep up with uh the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, of course Andre Vasilevsky in in series clinching games Vasilevsky's goals against average is 0.25 just incredible it's stupid good and nothing phases that guy uh but this is going to be a little bit of a different beast with McKinnon, Kel McCarr, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen and 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 company for the Colorado Avalanche. And maybe this is just the South Florida fan in me, but I kind of think about this Tampa Bay Lightning and their quest for a three-peat similarly to the Miami Heat of the early 2010s is long playoff runs, minimal rest, shortened off season, and then when it was ch- their chance to get a three-peat, a little bit of a slower step going towards the final because the Tampa Bay Lightning at times, at times, in the first round against the Toronto Maple Leafs looked a little slow. Even in the first two games, it took them a little bit to get their to get their pace going. And of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning are really good at dictating pace. That's the thing. If the Tampa Bay Lightning are able to dictate the pace, then they have a better chance to win. I, I, it's going to be a little harder for them to dictate pace with this Colorado Avalanche team, especially with the speed that they have at their disposal. So I, I firmly believe that the Tampa Bay Lightning, there's, there's a possibility that they could run out of gas this time around against the Colorado Avalanche. And of course, Colorado is a little bit more fresh when it comes to their, their run to the playoffs because they haven't gone on those long runs like Tampa Bay has. And Colorado does have the home ice advantage. Game one is Wednesday, June 15th at 8 p.m. So they they do have the home ice advantage. And it's funny because even though they have two losses throughout this whole postseason, both of their losses are at home. So if the Colorado Avalanche do lose one of the games in Denver, they haven't lost a road game. So it's it's no worries for them. They're not going to be rattled. But also the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't going to be rattled to neither because these are two very disciplined teams, two great coaches in Jared Bednar 
and John Cooper as well. And they're going to definitely nothing's going to rattle their teams in their quest because both have been on long ish playoff runs, of course, with the Tampa Bay Lightning winning back to back and consistent trips to the second round for the Colorado Avalanche. They've both been they've both seen plenty of playoff series in in their times as coaches for these teams. So they're going to keep their guys ready. And when it comes to the mental aspect of this game and this Stanley cup final, it's going to be hard for these teams to be rattled when it comes to it. So a little bit more of my opinions based on the upcoming Stanley cup final won't give a prediction yet. We're actually going to save that for Winans Wednesday tomorrow on the locked on Florida Panthers podcast. We're going to bring in Jacob Winans, uh, on the show, and we're going to discuss, continue to discuss the state of the Florida Panthers the upcoming Stanley cup final. And we're going to give our predictions for the series. Maybe you guys have an idea of where I might be heading as far as my predictions for that. Before we get out of here, uh, I want to say congratulations to Justin Sordiff of the Edmonton oil Kings, Florida Panthers prospect who has 14 points in 19 playoff games for the Edmonton oil Kings to advance to win the WHL championship and advance to the Memorial cup as well. Justin Sordiff, his uh, first WHL championship appearance since the 2019 season when he was with the Vancouver Giants. Didn't win it that year, but he got his chance to win uh, a championship in junior hockey. So want to say congratulations to Justin Sorda. And I'm very excited to see him at Panthers training camp ne- next season and the prospect camp as well. So that's a that's a player to look at panther fans for hopefully um for next season so we'll we'll, once again tomorrow's a wine ends wednesday and we'll be discussing more of the stanley cup final and the state of the florida panthers so in the meantime if you like what you're hearing please subscribe to the podcast you'll be notified every single time the lockdown florida panthers podcast jumps into your podcast feed don't forget to also subscribe to lockdown nhl and the crosscheck nhl show with andrew berkshire and mary clark will be covering all the postseason activities around the National Hockey League. Thank you for making the Lockdown Florida Panthers podcast your first listen of the day. And for your second listen of the day, don't forget to subscribe to today's episode of Lockdown Fancy Hockey. Host Steel Rona and Flip Livingstone help you become the expert of your fantasy team. Follow the Lockdown Fancy Hockey podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. So I'm signing off. And you've been listening to Lockdown Florida Panthers podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where it's your team every day.